Well, hi, you guys. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer, sponsored by the Coburg Road Car Wash. This is my friend, Alyssa McLaughlin. Alisa. Alisa. I say that wrong because it Everybody looks like says Alyssa. It wrong. So Alisa. And um, we're going to talk tonight about something that's really super important to a lot of people. And um, it's the spectrum, autism. Um, everybody knows somebody who's on the spectrum, don't you think? Sure. And when I said that we were going to have Alisa on here, people were going, I've had friends all over saying, oh, my gosh, <clears throat> I need to watch that because my sister, my brother, my aunt, my kid. Um, it's such an important thing because so many people are on this uh, the spectrum. And Alisa did a, a, an article. It was a letter to the editor, wasn't it? To the register guard. This is years ago when I took it. And um, I read it and I was just like, I have to find this woman because you really spelled it out for me to make it so that I can understand what people, um, at least what, what a lot of people on the spectrum how they see the world because yeah. I think it's really confusing for people. So we're going to talk about that, but first I want to give props to our sponsor and I got to find their video. Here they are. Well, hello, Renee. Hello, You're sponsoring the show tonight. So I thought I'd get some video going through the car wash. Is that okay? Absolutely. And it's a great day for a car wash. I'm so glad you're here. It's never it's a bad day. Never a bad day for a car wash. That is right. As you can see, everyone's coming. Watch the show tonight. I will. What time? Five o'clock. Right. Yeah, we're gonna have a heck of a time. I'm off here in a couple minutes. I will tune in at five o'clock. So last time you were on. I love that car wash. It is the most theatrical car wash I've ever been through. Because you turn blue and, and you turn red. My my grandmother, uh story, quick story. When I was like about ten years old, my grandmother uh, need to have a car wash. She, she was terrified of the car wash. She'd have me come with her, and I just thought, this is so cool. But she would, she would love this. She would have absolutely loved this with the colors and all that stuff. Oh yeah. And since we can't be on the car wash, Elisa and I can do the the windshield wipers. So this is what it's kind of like to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the three, the two ones, the ones the, like the this. two ones. Yeah, they go like that. You guys. So also, really quick, we have a contest going on. You can win two nights to the to Dean's Oceanfront Lodge in Yahas, and let me show that to you. So this is a lodge down there. They're gonna give you two nights. It has to be before June 15th, and you have to go to rickdancer.com to fill out the form. And you're gonna also get to go to the Kristen. Get a $50 gift card to Kristen. And but wait, there's more, there's more. You also, this is perfect for your hats on. So you're also going to get $50 gift card to Ona's restaurant and lounge. So there you go. God, you're, you're just like my sidekick, aren't you? Uh, so, so, so you guys, this is going to be, that'll be really, really fun. And so you got to go to rickdancer.com to apply for that and enter the form and do that kind of thing. So, Alisa, autism, the spectrum. What is that? What is the spectrum? Uh, long story short, spectrum refers to people who are in this, uh, um, various degrees of, of autism. Uh, and they usually say low function, high functioning. That's, that's, that's even become a, a sort of a passe term. I really like to think of it as like on a scale from one to 10, um, that you can, you can relate better to the world or you, or you have more trouble relating to the world. 
autism is something that's been around for a long time. It's been it's really from very severe. People are just not communicating with the world at all to people like myself who can more or less function in the world and get along and and uh, uh, try to pass for normal. But it's still hard. Oh, it's constant work. Like what? Like how do you like compared to you and me? How would how do you see? Like I'm not considering myself normal, but in terms of <laughs> nobody does. No, <laughs> but in terms of the world, give us some examples of how how someone might see how you have to work harder to understand what's going on around you, or to get people to understand what you are thinking. Yeah. It's not oh, it's not an easy question to answer because it requires me to have some perception of what what is not or your perception of what is normal in order to answer that. Right. Um, I say, you know, people say, you know, I say it's really hard to make social connections. They'll think, well, what do you mean? I go, half the time, I don't, I'm not sure that if what I'm saying or doing is the correct thing to say or do in any given situation. It's if you're walking around with a grenade, you pull the pin out and you're walking around with a grenade. And if you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or something, it blows up and you go, well, that didn't work, you know, um, and but you never know what it is. It's when, with autism, it is, is a, it is a kind of minefield. It's fraught with a lot of you learn all the rules and then you run into a situation where you don't know necessarily know the rule. And then you go, OK, now what do I do? And that way all the time. Is so you know, because you said to me one time, you never learn because every situation is different. So whereas someone who's not on the spectrum might see something and go, "Okay, I blew up that time. I know what I did wrong. I'll do something different." For you and other people on the spectrum, mm -hmm. it's it's always a new situation to you. So you never know. Yeah, because it, that the lesson doesn't necessarily stick. That capacity to learn that thing, that connection in your brain to learn that pathway. Um, it just isn't there. It's blocked off or the, you don't, you know, for whatever reasons, it just doesn't happen. So you try to say, okay, I'm going to try to remember that. And then the next time it happens, you go, oh yeah, I forgot that. I didn't, I didn't remember again. So you've said to me too before that you, you want to make connections, but then sometimes you just don't. I mean, you know what I mean? There's this, a lot of people that I know who are on the spectrum, it's like, I want to be, I want to have friends in my life, but sometimes I just want to be alone and I don't want to have friends in my life. Yeah, um, but you having, at the risk of putting you on the spot, saying that, well, I want to have friends around me or I want to be alone is, it's a nice option for you. Right. You, you know, it's easy an option for you. Someone autism it isn't necessarily an easy option. We're alone more often than not because we don't know how to make those connections. And then sometimes we need to be alone because you said, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overstimulated, I'm getting too much stuff going on. I need to be alone and just kind of to, to uh, you know, shut down and, and reboot as it were. But um, yes, it's true that people, you know, the, one of the myths is, you know, people on autism, they prefer to be by themselves. It's not true. We don't just don't know how to make that connection. Again, that connection is missing. And so you don't always know how to make that connection with people. I would love nothing better than to have lots of friends, be able to go out and do stuff and hang out with people. It just doesn't happen. And so it's it's a lot of work. And people go, well, you know, join a club or, you know, be more friendly. You go, I'm sorry, I don't have. It's like if someone says, well, I got to do this plumbing, I don't have to do it. Well, just get the right tools. I don't have the right tools. And I never will be able, even if you get put the right tool in my hand, I'd be like, okay, now what do I do? Right. You know, um, and so. When did you figure out that you were on the spectrum? 
Uh, I did not get the diagnosis until I was 50. 50? Yes. Something, so of which, something of which I am extremely resentful of because there are lots of people who could have known about it, lots of people could have spotted it. I made a note here. I, uh, I went to my doctor like last year or something, and he has this huge pile of my medical record, and, and I'm allowed to read it. It's my medical record. And I was looking up something. I went to a doctor, some other doctor, years ago, and I was looking up. I wanted to find out what it is I you know, went to her for, blah, blah, blah. And I was reading her notes. The doctors write down everything verbatim. And she pointed out the, the patient thinks she may have autism. Here's what she wrote. Patient thinks she may have autism, but she makes eye contact. And I thought, of course I make eye contact. I've learned to do that. Okay. And so she just dismissed the thing. And, and then I wrote here, this is her, uh, the only criteria she used for making a diagnosis. And she was lousy at doing that and making that diagnosis. You don't say, well, they make eye contact. They certainly can't be autistic. Well, she's verbal. She's not autistic. Women and men present autism differently. And women is more rare. It's Aut not rare. It's not rare. It's, it's not. rare to spot. Oh, like what? What do you mean? You mean? It's just because. It's okay. Okay. Um, I, I did a lot of research on it and, and I read some articles on it. And there was a fellow who studies this. And he didn't even spot it in his own daughter until she was seven. This is a guy who does this for a living. A neuroscientist. And he didn't spot it in his daughter until she was seven. Most of the criteria and the symptoms and the treatment for autism is geared toward boys because those are the ones they've been looking at for a long time. You know, little Tommy isn't speaking when he's two years old. Everybody flips out. You know, little Julie, oh, she's so quiet. She's no trouble at all. You know, she's just so, you know, she just stays by herself. No trouble at all. And, you know, yeah, well, Julie's autistic, but she's presenting it differently. You know. So, so was growing up hard? Yes. <laughs> Dumb question, Rick answer. Yes. Yeah, it was extremely hard because they didn't know. And the only conversation I had with my mother was when I was 19, and she <laughs> said something, which is also another misconception. She goes, well, you were kind of autistic as a child, but you outgrew it. You don't outgrow autism. It's there. It's always there. It's there the rest of your life. You can mitigate some of the symptoms. You can learn the rules and say, okay, in situation A, do this, don't do that, blah, blah, blah. So is it true like for you that you would have to, to go into a situation, you are pre-planning, pre-thinking everything you're going to do before you get in there. So to just go to a party and enjoy yourself, you, you, that isn't really possible. If I know the people and they know me for a long time, sure, it's not that difficult because they know me and they know how, you know, they can kind of guess how I'm going to respond. If I react a certain way, that's cool. But new situations, oh, no, no. It's extremely, it's really uncomfortable. One of the reasons why I liked acting, it occurred to me, because I've done acting in, in uh, uh, Lord Liberty Theater and such, is because I know exactly what to expect. I walk out, I'll sit here, this person will come here, and they'll say this, and I'll say this in response, and this will be their reaction, this will be my reaction, that's great. It's that's all pre-planned. It's all pre-planned. So I go... It's so relaxing because there's no work for me. All I guess you can do is remember to hit my marks, say my lines, pick up my paycheck. But whereas real life, you don't do that. It's like, well, here's this kind of, and we're going to improvise, and you don't really know who the person you're going to improvise with. I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, no pressure there. Do you feel like that people look at you funny? I don't know. I really don't know. It, it, after a while, you kind of go, they kind of look at you. Yeah. You know, then that's. Do you know when you make us like a, an alleged social faux pas? Not always. That's the other thing is because you, if you're with autism, you're not able to always pick up social cues. So as a result, someone you say something or do something, you're like, 
did I do something wrong? You know, <laughs> I don't know. I have an analogy uh, that I wanted to, to present with you, and it's just about the awareness of, uh, of ASD, that people with ASD process the world differently. And a lot of neurotypicals need to understand that, that need to understand that. You don't scold them or try to force them to act normal. Um, I was just listening to an interview with a fellow in NPR with autism. And he talked about, it. yeah, and you have to remember not to flap your hands or, you know, suck on your thumb or, you know, pick your nose or whatever. You know, those are things you kind of, someone just goes, yeah. you know, okay, I get that. But a lot of other stuff, more subtle cues, you just don't pick up on. And so um, we just, we just we'll behave differently. Uh, stimming as it's often called, uh, but it's it's counterproductive to tell people don't do that, don't do that. Then go, okay, I've made a colossal mistake, and I'm now I'm really feel really bad and awkward because I've made this colossal mistake of this person scolding me for being this way. That's really tough, and you never know when that's going to happen. Again, it's like the hand grenade; you don't know when that's going to happen. And, and and the other thing is that, um, slightly off topic, perhaps, um, is that. People may be autistic and they don't know it, um, but people will think, well, surely they know they're this way. Surely they know that they don't know that. Because you've like, been that way your whole life. Suppose you go to a party, Rick, okay? You're at a party and you're having a lovely time. You have to go to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom, come back out. And so many people are looking at you kind of strangely or they're you know, avoiding eye contact. And you go, what's going on? What's going on? Someone comes up to you and go, Rick, come here. I'm in the other room. One of us has our fly open. Oh, shit. Thanks, Mom. Thanks a lot. Really, really appreciate that. That's great. Someone says, you know, I think you might be on the spectrum, or have you looked into this? You know, that's what it is. But this is what actually usually happens. You come out, you walk around in the party, and you don't know what, why are people acting odd all of a sudden? Why are they being really, you kind know, of awkward and everything? And then you leave the party, and you get in the car, and you sit there, and you put seatbelt on, and you go, oh, I got my fly open. Oh, my God. So people are like, well, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to embarrass him. No, let him walk around the party completely unaware of the fact that he's embarrassing himself because he has his fly open. Let's do that instead. Right. And so people will avoid mentioning something to someone because they go, well, I don't want to embarrass them. I don't want them to feel like they're odd. That's why no one ever said to me anything. Well, we want Lisa to feel like she's normal, so we won't say anything. Well, Lisa isn't normal, and she's going to notice eventually that people aren't reacting to her normal, and she's going to wonder what the hell's going on. It's because she has her fly open, and nobody said anything. So do you do you cry? A lot. About what? About everything. A lot of things. I trained in Aikido for years and years, and I would come home from class, and I would sit down on my couch, and I would stop because, no, I don't get it. I'm not getting this. Why am I not getting this? And it's because it was being taught a certain way that I wasn't necessarily picking up on right away. And once I got the diagnosis, I suddenly analyzed everything in my life, and I went, oh, okay, that's why that was happening. Oh, that's why that didn't work. Oh, that's why I can't do that thing. But if you don't have the diagnosis, you're wondering why people are looking at oddly because you got your fly open. Right. Yes, yeah, the analogy goes. So. People are here saying, I get it. This is so true. Um, always have an exit plan. Wow, look at the time. Got to go. That's the exit plan. <laughs> <laughs> so do you feel misunderstood? Yeah. And that, that I think most people feel mis misunderstood anyways, but with autism, it's kind of a double thing. It's like, you could say, um, people don't misunderstand, people misunderstand me because of your religion or your politics or 
because you know you're an older person. Oh, he, he doesn't understand our music. Blah blah. And you kind of get that. With someone with autism, you go. I understand. People don't understand me, and I don't know why they don't understand me. Oh. So there's a double sort of burden on that. So yeah, well, people aren't going to get me. I got to a point. I think. I think I finally figured out and saw the autism in me because I got to an age where I'm like, zero ifs given. I don't care anymore. And you do. You get to a certain age where you go, yeah, I don't care what other people think of me. So all that big, heavy rule book I was carrying around, now with it. I don't need it anymore. I don't care. If people don't understand me, fine. If I don't understand them, fine. And then you, you make decisions about, I will deal with this person or I'll deal with that situation because I can handle it. But these other things, I can't. I can't deal with this level of uncertainty, so I don't want to deal with this anymore. So Penny says, what hobbies do you find yourself most comfortable with, such as gardening, music, cooking, baking, hiking, that maybe feel joy and share with others? Uh, I have a lot of hobbies, like uh, just like anybody else. She writes. Uh, right. Yeah, I, you know, I do. I, I you know, um, you have hobbies. You, that's not a problem. Uh, they usually end up being hobbies by yourself again. Yeah. Um, but in fact, that's I, the, the, about depression. That is the single best thing you can do. If you want to know the single best, what is this? You want to know what the single best thing you do with somebody who's depressed, Rick? What? Get them away from their depressions. Talk to them about something they're passionate about. Talk to them about something they like. Engage them. Say, hey, let's go for a walk. Let's go for a bike ride. Um, do it. Do it right there. Right then and there. Because they have to get out of that loop. Because depression gets you into this eddy and you can't get out of it. And someone says, hey, let's do something else. Get them away from that because... By talking, engaging them in their hobbies or things they like. And let's face it, people autistic, they can bore you to death with their passions. They really can. <laughs> uh-huh. I know no more, more about trains or opera or sumo than I ever really wanted to know. Oh know? my God, you're describing so many people there. <laughs> you know, when, when folks on the spectrum they get on a, on one and it's like you you have to finish the whole the whole thing. Yeah. All the way through. And so if we can be if, if neuronormals can be patient. And, and wait for the end of the story. You can't, I used to do this to a relative of mine. Mm. I just to see, cause I was testing to see if this is what it was. And so I get, get halfway in mm -hmm. and I change the subject and I'd watch this person and they'd look. And as soon as I stopped talking, they go right back to where it was and finish the story. Yeah. And it was like, just to see, you know, and it was like, it was super interesting because yeah. <clears throat> I am raising a grandson that had him since birth. He is 10 years old cannot speak in his own world. There are the uh, nonverbal stuff is very common apparently with boys. I don't know about girls that what the research is on that. But the assumption is this is a really interesting point. Um, when people are nonverbal, the assumption is that they, might, they must be stupid or you know, use the old term retarded or something. They're not. They simply can't speak for whatever reason. They're intimidated or they don't have the I, I don't know how that works neurologically but they just don't speak now people have ipads and stuff and they can you know spell stuff up and speak for them and it's a godsend because now they can text something communicate. they can yeah they can communicate they want to desperately it's not like they don't want to it's just they can't you know so when you were growing up was it really hard yeah it was very hard because like i said people didn't understand they didn't understand when i was having my temper tantrums because i was frustrated or i was overwhelmed or i was overstimulated or what have you and I still have meltdowns, um, and uh, they're uncontrollable at the time. You know, when you're running a full meltdown, it's there's no 
it's everything's just over, uh, you know. So what does somebody who's a parent out there do when their kid child or somebody in their family is having a meltdown? What's, what is the best it? thing to do is probably just leave them alone. You know, do what they do. And when they get to a point, say, what can I do to help? How can I help you? You know, what, you know, say stop saying stop that or calm down. That doesn't work. Say, look, what's going on? How can I help you? And then hopefully we'll get to a point. I, you know, with my uh, keto training, I have to wait till I get to a certain point where I can say, okay, now I can get my one point and I can get my center and I can calm down. But until that happens, they get to that point, it's, there's nothing I can do about it. And I will, I will self-harm and I'll, you know, smack my head and stuff because I just go, this is, this is, everything is just, it's like being, you know, electroshocked or something. It's just all circuits are uh, overwhelmed. Um, but when someone's having a meltdown, probably the best thing to do is just say, that's my train. Um, and the building moves. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> I know. I tell people all the time it moved, it moved, you know. It's like, it's like having a massage chair. <laughs> No, when people are having a meltdown, they're just, they're overwhelmed. And the, the best thing to do is just let them sort of ride it out until you get to the point and say, what can I do to help you? What can I do to help calm self the situation? Because what we try to do as parents and friends and stuff is tell them what to do. And that, yeah. and we don't know because you don't. You, You're not a therapist. So are you like, do you think that like with, with autism, that you, you completely read the world in a, a different way? And so you've got these neuronormal people and then you've got people on the spectrum and they, so you, you're completely in different worlds and you, you perceive this world differently than we do. And I always think like, what if you're right? Cause you're very, well, we are right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause you you're don't, the ones that are, but don't you think people on the spectrum? I mean, this is a, 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 a total generalization, but you don't take a lot of shit. And yeah, black and white, I mean, there's gray. You understand gray, yeah, but yeah. it's like make a decision. And and you don't. It's, it's, oddly enough, it's that, that like people with ADD, my brother has ADD, has zero ability to make really sound judgments about people or situations. And I discovered I wasn't very good at that either. So my guess, my best safeguard against it was to just be as cynical as possible. Because I may be wrong, but I'm going to err on the side of maybe this person is not genuine uh, until I, I can they can know better. And so as a result, you don't put up with a lot of BS because a lot of it is just I'm not sure if this is BS or if this is real. So just to be on the safe side, I'm going to assume that this is BS, you know. And so <clears throat> a lot of times, uh, you know, people thought to maybe be very impatient and completely tactless. Um, not because not you never. She is the most tactful person ever. You, cause you, that's what I do like about you. It's like, we were trying to do this a month ago and that's why Elisa's here is because she doesn't have the, um, didn't want to put Google. You have to have Google. Can I tell you this? No, oh, sure. Go ahead. So, okay. So you have to be able to put Google Chrome on the, on your computer to do this. And so we're having this conversation through email and I said, you need to put this on. She goes, I don't want that on there. And I go, well, it's, I have to go ahead. It's too much trouble. I could do it, but then it would cause great deal. And like I said, too much frustration to a point in your life. You go, yeah, this isn't worth the trouble. I can't do this. So then I went back and said, okay, so what if you came into my office? And she says, yes, I'm going to get both my shots. So I'll be vaccinated. I'll come into your office. So we worked out a way. So we came up with a way to do this, mm -hmm. um, but it has to work for you. And, and that's, I think, something that I appreciate. And it's also very frustrating sometimes with people on the spectrum. 
um, having someone I know nearby my in, in, yeah. in relationships because you 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 it, it, it's a true negotiation, which is not a bad thing, right? Yeah. Well, you have to negotiate. I think most relationships are negotiable, anyways. Right. But with people with autism, they're a bit more. They're a higher maintenance, shall we say, because you have to take in more take more things into consideration. And we live in a world that seems to be very that favors convenience over uh, other things. And it's I think that sometimes relates to people as well. Oh, you taught a class at LCC. I had oh I had a class yes I I taught a class at LCC uh, downtown. And it was a class. Hi, hey, Mary. Hi, Mary. Good to see you again. She loved your class. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I I was a little surprised that these are people who had adult children. They still have a proper nomenclature for that, but they they're they're uh, they had kids like in their twenties, and they still didn't know a lot of stuff about this. And I'm like, you don't know about this? I mean, I'm thinking, I, you know, I was teaching like autism 101. I'm thinking this is something every parent should know. I'm like. Okay, you know, maybe there isn't as much information out there as it. I went to a um, uh, lecture, <clears throat> several people um, talking about uh, people with autism getting into the workforce and stuff, uh, transitioning, as they say, into adulthood and everything. And this woman during the Q&A stood up and she said, well, I'd like to know what kind of services are that there for adults with autism? And we said, there aren't any. Right. And she looked devastated. And I'm like, there's, there just isn't. You're up to, you know, up to the 18. Sure, we'll help you with school. We'll get you to or whatever. You're 18. Magically, you're an adult. You're assumed you know how to figure this out. You're on your own. Just like every other person, when you turn 18, it's assumed you're an adult. You'll figure it out. And I've talked to people in their 20s and 30s who knowledge about doing something simple as, you know, cooking or dealing with their laundry or sexual relationships, and I just go, <laughs> you know, I'm just horrified. Um, you don't always know. And ha being an adult with autism means you're, as a parent or, you know, tutor or something, you have to realize this person's still going to need more help. They're not automatically an adult. They're not mature automatically simply by that number. They're going to need more help and you're going to have to do it because there's probably is not, there's very few resources out there. More and more there are now, but by and large, there are not a lot of resources out there to help with adults with autism. So, are you are you lonely pardon are you lonely um yeah there's a lot of loneliness because you, you 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 can't make it either difficulty or for whatever reason don't have a lot of social connections i find that'll be very lonely and i try to call people i know and i can't get hold of anybody and i just go well i guess i'm just gonna have to do something to distract me from being lonely so it's that loneliness it's not just a condition of autism but it's Let's say more acutely aware. You're more acutely aware of it as being autistic of, of loneliness. Um, I love this. I'm so proud of you. My anxiety will not let me go. Love ever. In my day, they didn't check for autism. No, they didn't. And I think it's not. It's not because of negligence. I think it's just because of just plain ignorance. Don't you think? Even today, people saying they were misdiagnosed. And I, I hope that you take this in the wrong way or the wrong way, the right way. But if I if you if you don't, I know you'll tell me, which I really appreciate about you. But don't you think that the, the, when I was in school and you were in school as kids, yeah. the, uh, the people on the spectrum were the ones that people thought were weird? Yeah. 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 And so they looked at them instead of going, they're unique and interesting. And I can look at back the people that people teased 
And they were now I look back and I go, oh, my gosh, I bet they were on the spectrum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a really good book. If anyone wants to know about this, it's a, one of the first books I read. There are actually two books I highly recommend. One is uh, Look Me in the Eye by John Elder Robinson. I read that. And he constantly, he was his parents, both his parents were nuts. But he was always being dragged off to a counselor or something. And counselor, oh, John, first play by himself. You know, John is, you know, lonely, you know, it's, it's, you know, blah, 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 doesn't, you know, want to interact with other people. He said, yes, I did. I just didn't know how to do it. Right. So they see that and they, they make like the like the doctor who said, Well, she can't be autistic, she knows how to make eye contact. Because everybody's different. Don't you think that that um like and you, you learn different coping skills. You know what I mean? Oh sure. The coping skills is the you know, the big rule book we carry around today. How do we deal with situation well, A and situation Well, I think somebody could look at you too, because I've never seen a lot of the people that I know with on, on the spectrum cry. Yeah. And you do. Oh yeah. And oh and no, so they probably do. They just don't probably don't do it in front of others. I know somebody who had it, and they remember. I remember they said to somebody, um, "Well, what you do is, it, if people make fun of you for crying, you just stop crying." And that person <laughs> that I know has never cried since then publicly. This is seen. something that is a really bad habit, and I and I do the same thing. If someone says to me, "I'm going to be there at three o'clock," three o'clock comes by, I expect them to be there. And they're not. And then I'm like, what's going on? I have to learn to say, well, you have to give people at least 15 minutes leeway because they're not punctual like you. If I say I'm going to be there at 515, I will be there exactly on the dot. If someone said when I was very young, I had a uh, my my father's second wife said, once well, you make up your mind, you can't change it. I didn't learn that you could change your mind until I was in my 40s and I went to therapy. I said, you're allowed to change your mind? She goes, yeah. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Well, I was told you make a choice. That's it. Oh, no, you're allowed to change your mind. Really? It never occurred to me. You're not allowed to cry. Okay. I'm not allowed to cry. That's why they stopped crying. You know, it's just like, it's like this kind of automatic thing. So, well, that must be true because someone said this, so that must be it. That's the rule. So that almost people on the spectrum almost take the rules extra seriously. Take the, because people can be literal to the the ninth yeah. degree, literal. Because then you did it right. And I had I had a friend that used to be, well, you said you were going to do this. So why didn't you do that? And you go, well, things change. No, they can't change because you said you were <laughs> going to do this. And it's like, well, no, but it's, but see, things happen. Well, no, that can't, you can't do that. Yeah. And that's the frustrating part. But you know what? What I appreciated about that too is it's it's true. It is honest in, in a way. Not that you can't change your mind, but that you said you were going to do this. Why didn't you do it? Yeah, and that, that I, that's, I don't know about other people. The uh, problem I have is people make promises, and then I go, well, there's a 50-50 chance they're going to keep that promise. Because I, yeah, I know that people are very fond of making promises, but then they don't keep them. Everybody knows. Everybody knows, Lisa. If she says, I promise I'll do that, you can bet on it. And so Vegas, you could take odds and you'll win that bet. But I won't promise something unless I know I can keep it. So is the hard part because you are so literal that when the real world, and I, I don't mean it that way in a negative way, but when neuro normal people, they don't keep promises. Yeah. And, and there's a different sort of thing. It, and it, it, it may be a nuance there that people say something, but you as a neurotypical, well, they're just saying that to be nice or whatever. But, but someone who's autistic may take it literally. 
which don't you think that's kind of refreshing and people should, I mean, when, if everybody had to, if you could call people on it, see, and you can't because you can get away with stuff like that. But if you could turn and go, Hey, you promised you were going to do this and you didn't do it. No, no, there's a reason why I don't do that. Well, you, you lose no, everyone. No, but there are a lot of, again, if I know the person, I know you enough that I can call you and you go, yeah, okay, I'm cool with that. But a lot of times I don't because I go, I may lose this person's friendship. I can't, I can't be that blunt or that, you know, I have to be cautious about when am I able to be honest with people or not? Because that some people take it wrong and I go, I said something wrong and I just never hear from them again. And I go, I don't know what I did. That's got to be the hardest part. Oh, and again, it's the hand grenade. You never know. It's going to blow up. But if you know someone well enough, they'll know, well, you know, and you, you're you on, on the spectrum, I believe. So you, you're, you're, you, you know this. You're kind of, right. you're around that. You go, okay, there's something there. I, I'm telling a friend of mine who's also autistic. I said, frankly, I said, I actually don't like hanging out with people autistic. Because <laughs> <laughs> they irritate you too? No, it's because you have to figure out their thing. Oh, it takes yeah. more trouble. Neotypical, I, I kind of, you know, they're more or less. Cast easy. And, yeah, you're easy to kind of, and, you know, they're kind of like this, you know. They're all this, flakes, you know, well, Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but with autistic people, you have to kind of go, okay, are they sensitive about this thing or does this thing bother them? Do they get sarcasm? Do they understand metaphors? Are they going to understand when I say this, that I mean that? You know, it's, it's interesting. I was at the uh, Kind Tree camp several years ago. And it was amazing walking around and people, you know, talking to themselves or doing whatever, and nobody cared. And I thought, this is a new experience. And every single person at the end of camp, they asked them, what did you like most about camp? And they said, I liked that I could be myself and nobody judged me. This is every single camp that I went to. The biggest single thing people said was, I'm glad to be here because nobody judged me. Because we know we're being judged all the time. And that's something you have to deal with. All the time. All the time. Now imagine how, you know, you weren't, you didn't used to do the news, right? You sit there, hey, I'm Rick Dancer, here's the news, blah, blah, blah. And you know that people are going to make criticism about mm -hmm. something you call and say, hey, I didn't like that story. Hey, I just read the news. I don't make this stuff. Right. I just read it. Don't blame the messenger. Right. But you know, when you're standing there and you're, you're you know, talking on the TV and you're, looking at the camera and you're reading the, you know, teleprompter, whatever, you know, in the back of your mind, you go, people are going to be judging what we're saying. The difference is I'm choosing to put myself in that place. Yeah. You're not. Not necessarily. Yeah. And you, are, you know, you know that. And with you, you know, that comes with the territory. Right. But when I walk into a situation, I'm not thinking, well, I'm per I know that I'm going to be judged, but I don't know. How, you know, it's, it's difficult to figure out, how that judgment's going to go down, but, and plus, you know it comes with the territory, right? But you're not you're not judged by the same standard as other people, so you're already walking in on the different spectrum, yeah. And so you are trying to move up, but it's much easier that you're probably going to get put down. And it's like uh, you know, I wanted to, I've been contemplating for a long time writing a memoir, uh, and I was going to call it "Passing for Normal" because that's oh, what it's really is yeah. trying to pass for normal. So what? What would the world be like if you could just be a, a Lisa? It would be like I was at Kind Tree Camp. It would be like that, and then no one would care, and they they could deal with it. We could have a conversation with somebody, and they abruptly leave, and we walk away and do other stuff, and nobody's bothered by it. No one goes, well, that was kind of a problem, or whatever, you know, whatever kind of behavior is going on, and everybody's cool about it. Wow. It's, you know, it's, 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 I, can't, I can't even begin to imagine what that world like. I have a very rich interior life. 
And in my interior life as a writer and, and just with my imagination, I have lots of friends. I get along well with people. I, you know, very successful. And, you know, I get along really well with people. And so I said, and that's, I said, that's better than real life. Real life is not as much fun. So and that's why I think a lot of autistic people, people say they're off in their own world. You go, they're somewhere where they know they're they're not having to deal with all this. They're, they're someplace in this someplace it's safe. Well, they know that that they're accepted and nobody, you know, gives a rat's patootie and they can just be whoever they are and, and they're and everybody's cool with that. Whereas whereas you have to go to school, you have to deal with kids who may bully you because you look different or you act strange and that you know the adults aren't much help. And then when you get in, <clears throat> excuse me, when you get into the adult world, then you have to deal with, you know, all the adult stuff and adulting and you don't necessarily know how to do that. And, you know, you screw up friendships or, you know, that job interview and you don't know why. Boy, that's not a lot of fun. Hey, I'll sign me up for that. You know. <laughs> so what's the hope? Of what? For you and others who are, and parents out here who have children or, or people who are watching who are, are on the spectrum. Well, it is possible to be successful. As I said, I was listening to an interview with a guy on NPR. The guy went to, he graduated from Oxford. I'm like, really? I'm lucky I made it through two years of LCC. Come on, you know. Some people are really good at academics. Yeah, but you are, you may not be good at academics, I don't know, but you are smart. Well, yeah, but try to tell, tell the, people that when I get the job interviews I've been to the last 30 years. Right. You know, tell that the people who misunderstood, well, why did she say, no, it's just the way Lisa is. You know, that's, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's easy. And I don't mean this in a pejorative way. It's sometimes it's easy to say to someone, well, we get it. You're smart. You go, tell them that, right. you know, you know, when I was, smart is packaged in a different package. Yeah. And like I said, there are people autistic and they, they will, they'll excel at college. They'll excel at academics or whatever it is. They'll do great, but they'll still have, you know, they'll still want to flap their hands or rock back and forth or do something that you, you know, kind of, you think, you know, they can't help it. That's the way they are. The people who can be, I'm, of course, there are people who I think are, I would classify as just plain stupid who graduated from college with degrees. And you just go, these people couldn't manage their own personal finances or, you know, manage a trip to the bathroom, but they managed to go to college. So that's not necessarily a mark of intelligence. It just says, oh, they, okay, they can handle academics. Yeah, they passed that. <clears throat> what do you have to say to the ones who have never been diagnosed? Um, yeah, Tracy, don't you? She says, smart and so articulate, love her honesty. That's what I love about this woman is because she, I mean, are you, do you see why she's on here? It's because you put it, you put it in perspective where I think there's the first time I heard you, it was like, I went, I felt like you almost like, at least you took me into the, a, a world that I kind of knew existed, but I didn't know it was like that. And I I'm, never feel sorry for you. And I don't feel sorry for people on, on the autism spectrum because I don't think we should feel sorry for people. I think we should be kind and be more accepting of people. But newsflash, no, no neuro normal is in any better mental health state than anybody on the spectrum. And I would think that some in the spectrum probably have some of us beat anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think it's all like that. If you took the world and go, I have a friend, Amelia Abel, and she experiences Down syndrome. And I, I always say to Amelia, I said, you can do anything I can do. It just takes you longer to learn how to do it. Yeah. And she goes, yeah. So if you're patient and she makes me slow down, yeah. like when we have a conversation, 
It's not because she's slow. It's because I'm too fast. Yeah. So I slow down. And when I leave a meeting with her, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I feel so good. I feel, yeah. It's like being a little puppy. And she's she's and she's managing me. She sits here and she goes, she'll have her arm on me, like patting me when I'm getting upset. Like, because I, I think she's so wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> she's my spiritual breathe, guru. Breathe, yeah. You know, embrace um, I'm getting back to the question about what I have to say to people who haven't been diagnosed. I don't know, get diagnosed? <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. That's a, that's a curious that question. What do you say to the people who haven't been diagnosed? Have you looked into this? I uh, I know? knew somebody, I knew somebody, I, in fact, I know, I've known her for years and years and years. And I always thought she was, well, she's a little eccentric and whatever. And, you know, she's very talkative and she was obsessed about her son's health because that was a big issue with her and blah, blah, blah. And then we didn't see each other for a couple of years. And then she lived with me for a couple of months after I got my diagnosis. She lived with me a couple of months. She was between, you know, living here and in, in, in Washington. And within weeks, I realized, my God, this woman is autistic. There's no doubt about it. She had she had two children who are autistic. I'm going, have you ever been tested for autism? And she goes, well, I've already been diagnosed with OCD and, and yep. borderline personality. And I went, that's like going to a doctor. And they say, well, you have a us." upper respiratory infection and a cough instead of saying yeah that's the symptoms of a cold you know the, yes those are symptomatic of people who are autistic and then she got really quiet and i went okay she can deal with it she, she's gonna have to she's gonna decide whether she wants to pursue that or not it's not a death sentence whatever but i said okay i told her i gave her my opinion with it she can deal with it as she if she wants and i think that's the appropriate thing to do but again it's important to point out to the person your fly is open you know. Right. So Tori wants to know, do you think and believe an official diagnosis is necessary? It if you want to, if you want to get on disability, yeah, <laughs> that's what ended up. I ended up having to do get on disability. Because you couldn't get a job. Nobody's going to. And at this point, who's going to hire a six year old one with autism? Right. Um, your, but if you if you're not, you have you're not that hot in the, in the job market. Oh come on! I'm smarter than most people in this room. I'm sorry. Did that sound tactless? Well, it's true. <laughs> you get out of here. You're an idiot. You know. Um, if you have supportive family, if you know how to do a job, if you can navigate the world well enough, you don't necessarily need that, that diagnosis. And it really depends on where you are on the spectrum. Don't it you depends think? on where you are. It depends, you know. My wife be, thinks I'm on. My wife goes, she goes, I, I'm sure you're on the spectrum. And see, but people would go, no, because Rick has eye contact. But you know what I learned? Because I've, I've learned this about myself. I don't look people in the eye. I watch your mouth. Yeah. I trick people. I learned that early on, if you had good eye contact, people would understand. So I look at people's mouths and I can tell anybody what their mouth looks like. But when you're, so when the mask came out, yeah, I don't recognize people that I know. And I'm looking going, I told my wife, I said, Oh my God, I am like, it's like somebody took something away. So it's really frustrating. So, you know, I think it depends on where you are on that whole spectrum. But I think, you know, there's a lot of, but also, also the, the trick is a lot of autistic people learn to make eye contact, even if it's minimal. Um, but it doesn't mean it's pleasant is if you, every time right. you did it, like someone hit me in the back of the head and you go, but you have to do it because it's required in order to be, to pass as normal. And so do you, but you don't care if you're normal anymore. I, me, I, I don't care. It's overrated. Don't you think <laughs> eye contact is overrated? I do the same Rick. Yeah. I think we all <laughs> learn tricks. I think, but I, and think I'm not belittling autism. I'm saying, Oh yeah. No, I'm just saying my wife says sometimes you are so literal about certain things. And 
And so it helps me because I can kind of back off and, yeah. and look at things differently. But I don't see the world like you do. So that's not where I'm, you know what I mean? Where it's yeah. like, I don't have trouble functioning in that knowing the difference. But I do say things. So you know, <laughs> my wife will just go, you shouldn't say that. Right? That would, that probably didn't really go over that well. And I'm going, I and I notice it when I write a comment sometimes on Facebook. <laughs> I'll go back and go, eh, maybe I should probably delete that. <laughs> okay, more questions. I work with the most wonderful, amazing folks who have autism. I have learned so much. I think, honestly, that the people on the spectrum are the teachers. It's almost like God's way of going, this is what you were supposed to be like. And you guys. Okay, you think the normal people is easy? Okay. I'm going to give you this group of people just to see how much you can actually handle this. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And see, this is the real, this is truth. Yes. So true. I absolutely love the book name. Please write it. Oh. Okay. Uh, the other should. book I would highly recommend is a book called Neuro Tribes by uh, Steve Silberman. Okay. But Tori, just so you know, and I think you know this, but I want to reiterate it. She wants you to write your book. Oh yeah, okay, sure. And, it's on and, my list. And Lisa can she can write. I mean, she's good. You do. She's writing. Yeah, she's putting it on her list now. It has to get done right. <laughs> well, you know, this this is the thing I've, I've been. <laughs> Look this, at my list all over my office. Seriously, this, is, one and I make this is a, one. this is a huge, 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 huge subject with me because I don't want to bore everybody with my long story. But long story short, I wanted to be a writer for the last forty five years, but I mostly fiction. Well, fiction is next to impossible to get published any anywhere. So I said, okay, well, I'll try nonfiction. Oh, well, even then you have to self-publish. And that costs a lot of money, which I don't have. And I went, okay, I'm done. I'm I'm not meant to be a writer. It's just not happening. So I've, I've pretty much given up on, on writing because I go, it just, I write stuff and it goes in the drawer. Why don't you just write it? Okay. But you know what, Elisa, why don't you write it like, like, um, like part fantasy where it's, real but then how you go into your fantasy world and who those friends are i would i would love to read like here's your day here normally and then how you escape into that place and here's these people it's a completely different world actually i did, I write, that, I did write a short story and i'm trying to write the sequel uh, i wrote a short story and i posted some of it on my on my blog site but it's called um chop talk and then you know for years when i, I didn't want to deal with this world i said well people said, what do you do and i said um, I work as a uh, <clears throat> interior design uh, interior designer for spaceships in a spaceship and maintenance repair shop, and they go, really? <laughs> so that's what I do. So I wrote I wrote a story about that about working on this the spaceship shop. See, I think there's a whole audience of people out here that would read that. I really do, and I think you should not. Well, like I said, they can go to if you go to my blog site, then then make a request. And if I get enough people, I'll what is your blog site? There. Oh God, it's called AMC. AMC Stubborn Turtle. Not Blogspot. Stubborn two Bs. Stubborn Turtle. Uh, I have my cart. Wait a minute. I have one of my carts here. We're gonna get this. Hang on. Um, Dan Conley says I can't make eye contact. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Are you, um, Dan? Do you consider yourself on the spectrum? Um, AMC. Some people just aren't worth looking in the eye. Let's be honest. G-U-R-T. Do I really want to look this person in? I was going to say something weird. No, do I really want to look this person in the face? No, don't. <laughs> don't apologize. Say, I have better things to do with my time than look at your ugly face. Okay. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. sorry. Okay. 
sorry, so we there. momentarily distracted. What? I'm sorry. What were you saying? Yeah. No. Oh, I'm sorry. See, this is what I would do. No, I'm sorry. I'm autistic. I I do that all the time. Yeah. Sorry. I'm autistic. Just blame. <laughs> I pull the cancer card on people. Yeah. No, I had cancer. That's why. <laughs> okay. No, that's, that's as that. much as you can. <laughs> yeah. You should do a GoFundMe for your writing. You would get a ton of sponsors. But GoFundMe takes too much money. Yeah. I, I, and, again, it's like. Here's the other thing. A lot of great ideas. I know how the business of writing a book. You write a book proposal and you do this and you do that. I know how to do all that stuff. You go, I don't have the energy to do that. I can't do that. It's like I know how to play chess. I don't play chess. I play chess lousy, but I know how the game is played. Marissa loves you. She You're goes, welcome. Oh, I Thank love you. you. Ha ha. Um, ha ha. Yes. Sometimes you don't know what they're hawing, and if you don't know, I don't know either. Just but I pretend because um, it's like the conversation goes on. I'm trying to get the courage up to get diagnosed. Is it worth the diagnosis yes. for myself? Don't you don't want the courage. I went to Fallen Portuguese now retired, but I happened to go to someone who was semi-retired at the time, and I went to see him, and I said during the first session, I said, I think I may have autism. I may have Asperger's. He goes, Oh yeah, you have Asperger's. I mean, it was like notice. It immediately noticed it. I said, why don't all these other people I went through with life, how come they didn't notice it yeah. or say anything? Oh, I'm sorry. We don't want to embarrass them because their flies open. Yeah. You know, uh, get the diagnosis. Dan if it bothers you, get the diagnosis. And yeah. it's, it's not that hard. It's not, it's not a matter of courage. You, do you want to know? If you want to know, then do it. If you don't want to know, then okay. Busy yourself with anxiety. Right. Because I think there's two kinds of people out there. There's people that would just live their life on and, and people that know. I, I like knowing what's what's going on with me so that I can. Well, like with your diagnosis. When they can be say, I'm afraid to know it's cancer. <laughs> would you be afraid that the doctor says, Rick, do you want me to tell you or not? Right. Exactly. Right. And some people go, I don't want to know. You know, and I just go, you don't want to know what's going on. Uh, no, that's a bad call. You, people have a right to know what's going on. Dan, what kind of cancer do you have if you don't mind me asking? Um, oh, I didn't know that. Bummer. See, this is a problem. Is it? It's, I, it's this big toe. It would get like this big. It would get the size of a melon, <laughs> and it would make this weird squishing noise when he walked. It was horrible. And the doctor said, ooh, that's got to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, it was my prostate, so that would be a really weird one. Ew, <laughs> my toe. Oh, <laughs> TMI. Colin. Oh, Dan, I'm sorry. So how? I hope you're doing okay um, with that. Well, it looks okay. Well, no, he's, really he's skinny. talking. Dan he has, does exercise. He bicycles everywhere. It's disgusting. He's Dan disgusting. has colon just, cancer. Just, oh well, that sucks. Yeah, that's uh, and I'm sorry. That is just that's a. But is, are you going to be okay? Um, which I, I guess I you'll lose. Get you'll get to lose all that weight you've been trying to lose. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is a typical <laughs> oh, spectrum. Thing. Well, here's spot. the bad. Here's the good news and the bad news. The bad news you have cancer. The good news is you know that extra forty pounds you've been trying to lose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you have cancer, and I don't know if Dan felt it, you do, you look for anything to make it. Okay, what's the bright side? I got to find um, one. I can milk this for years at yeah. parties. Well, I, yeah, when when somebody <clears throat> is standing, I remember I that, what, what I, where I used it, I went to um, Austin Stadium, and when you're a man, you stand at these troughs and you pee. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it takes me a while now because they messed around with all that stuff yeah. down there. So I'm standing there, and this guy comes up behind me, and, and, and he's drunk. And he goes, what the hell's taking you so long, you know? And I turn around, I says, oh, I'm sorry. I had, I, I had prostate cancer, and they blasted the hell out of my prostate with radiation, so it takes me a while longer. And everybody goes, oh. And the man goes, sorry. And I said, that's called playing the cancer card. Yeah, then you betcha. I'm I, sorry, I told Dan. a friend of mine when she had cancer, I said, oh, no, you got to milk this for as much as you can. Oh, you go in every six months for a checkup. Everything has been great for the last four years. Good. Okay, good, good. All right, Dan, that's what we want to hear. God bless you, Dan. We'll pray for you. Now, Dan, I'll tell you what. I have the best 
people on my page ever. And these people will all pray for you. They're all the kindest people ever. <coughs> Alisa, that was so fun. Did you have fun? Yeah, it was fun. And did you guys like that? Um, this is what we need to be doing more on social media is talking about stuff like this and not being ashamed of who we are or how people and not worried about how people perceive us because people are going to perceive us the way they want to. Um, but I think it's also a great example listening to Lisa talk is that um, it's a great chance to, to, to get involved in people's lives. And if they are suffering with depression to don't just, Oh, we'll just let them be. They don't need to be let be. That's ignoring somebody when they're depressed is the worst thing you could do. Wow, look at the time, gotta go, sorry about that. Instead, if someone says to you, I'm really depressed, they're serious because that's the sort of thing they know really turns people off. It's a real conversation downer. I don't wanna bother people with my depression. I don't wanna, you know, if they say I'm really depressed, they're saying, help me. Right. And the best thing you can do is say, let's go get some ice cream. Let's, uh, let's talk about whatever. Yeah, you don't have to have an in-depth conversation about why they're depressed. No, in fact, no, their, no. In fact, exactly else. the opposite. Don't talk about the depression. Don't talk. Don't try to be a therapist or an analyst. You, you'll get it wrong. You're not a therapist. You're a friend. They'll break you out because they say, "Please get me out of this hole. Let's talk about something other than this thing that's dragging me down." But they're not going to ask you to get them out of the hole. No, if they say I'm you, really depressed or they act really depressed, say, wow, it's really bummer. Yeah, I'm really bummed. Okay, hey, let's go for ice cream or hey, let's go for a walk or, you know, hey, did you watch the game last night? What did you think of that? Blah, blah, blah. You know, get them out of that hole. Get them to, to talk about something that they enjoy, that's something that's pleasant. So um, you guys do me a favor. If you would share this on your page um, so that other people can see this and you never know. Um, and one of the sad things about the spectrum is I think a lot of people hide people who are on it. Um, they don't want to admit that that's it when it's why not admit this is who people are and, and enjoy them for what they are and who they are and look at it as an adventure. And we tend to shy away from that. But if you put it on your page, somebody might come on your page and go, oh, my God. And they see that and realize um, that there is hope and yeah. that there is life yeah. after a spectrum diagnosis. In fact, it, I think it can be really good, but it's up to all of us to do that. And it, 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 the other thing is people think that, you know, uh, a diagnosis of autism is a death sentence. So I remember the story that when uh, uh, Ricky Martin, he finally sent out this email and said, you know, I'm gay. And he sat down and said, and he broke down crying. He was just overcome. And, and people found out the gay and went, really? Wow. What a non-shocker that is. Really? <laughs> Who cares? I was, I was more astounded that he decided that we had twin boys that he was going to raise them the first couple months he was going to do all that himself no nannies not happy he was going to do it himself i'm like okay that's insane <laughs> you're going to take care of two infant child children for the first six months of their life okay you're being gay is like way down the list of craziness there <laughs> i'm not impressed with your homosexuality but the fact that you're going to take care of those two kids together that's, that's impressive, impressive. <laughs> it's true um, and oh, everybody kind of, you said I'm gay and everybody went, eh, you know, yeah, wasn't the end of the world. So what? Yeah, it didn't kill you. Yeah. And autism won't either. No. All right. And like you said, like the cancer thing, I think you just play that card as many times as you can. Yeah. Alisa just going around and said, ah, sorry. I'm sorry. I just called you a bitch, but you know what? I'm out with you. Yeah, they'll probably take <laughs> that one. They'll probably cut it take the whole thing out one time now. Oh, I didn't say that Facebook. I'm so sorry. No, I used to be word, please. You can say fuck, but you can't say bitch. Really? <laughs> it is the weirdest thing on here. Yeah, no. And, and sometimes it's okay. And sometimes it's not. Can you call somebody an asshole? Did you just call me an asshole? No, I didn't okay. say you. Can. You can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
There, now we have tainted the end of the show. But see, this way, people have to watch the whole show to find this out. Now, really quick, you guys, I want to show you something we're doing tomorrow. So we're going to release a video um, with the timber industry. Uh, there, everybody has their opinion about what's going on with the timber industry and all the log trucks and all this kind of stuff. We're going to do a report, a special report tomorrow. This is just a teaser. The amount of carbon that keeps getting released because we don't do fuels mitigation. We don't allow for some of those fuel treatments to happen in forests. We don't allow thinning to happen. You know, if you try and let nature take over, um, we've seen some examples of that and it just doesn't happen very quickly. You know, we're going to be able to utilize Oregon logs for, for Oregon homes and, and create jobs all the way through the pipeline. We're really doing looking out for the forest for future generations. So, um, at least my kids, you know, I feel like I'm kind of providing something for my kids going forward into the future. So that airs tomorrow. Um, I'll be placing it on here. And then tomorrow night, we're gonna be talking to um, John Kilcullen. That's Officer Chris Kilcullen's father. And Chris Kilcullen was killed uh, actually shot to death by after when he pulled someone over 10 years ago on um, out. Uh, it was 10 years ago on Thursday out on Highway uh, 105 and 52nd Street. And so we're going to be talking to John, his dad, tomorrow about everything, um, current riot things, how police are treated, his son. And then on Thursday at one o'clock, they're having a live ceremony out there at the site and there's a couple of surprises uh, with that as well and we'll be there live for that too so uh, lots of good content this week share this on your page have a great evening and good night thanks elisa <laughs> <laughs>